Kings to Luke chapter 14. Um, it's been fun. It's been tiring, but mostly fun. But glad to go to a few camps and be the Bible speaker. Um, one of the things that is uh, the best about camping ministry is just um, hearing other people's stories. So, again, not quite with the match card, but uh, learning with people's testimonies of, of being in civil wars in their own country when they were eight or nine. Um, learning of people from Haiti who uh, dads are in politics, so they were going to get kidnapped. So they came to the States and got saved. Um, just story after story of God changing people's lives. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to hear. And so when I was thinking about um, even this morning um, and hearing people's stories, I was just drawn back again to... Um, some of the basics of what does it cost us to follow the Lord? What does it really cost us? There was a story of someone who had a desire to climb Mount Everest. And uh, the trip itself would be about $70,000 with all the training and all the right equipment and uh, just the drop-offs and things of that nature. And the person had someone who said they would pay for it all. They would pay all 70000 so they could try to climb Mount Everest. All the gear, all the guides, everything. And the person had a decision to make. They said to themselves, if I accept his free offer, I've just committed myself to months of difficult training and arduous effort. It could even cost me my very life going up that mountain. It is free to go up the, the mountain, but very costly. Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and when he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this time. We pray again that it would be enjoyable, that your uh, spirit would control us, that uh, he would uh, do conviction of sin, that he would uh, show us how to love you more, uh, that you might uh, just look good in our eyes. Um, Lord, again, we pray for Brantford Bible Chapel overall, that you would grow this place numerically and spiritually, that we would be unified in your word and in our love for one another, uh, that we would put away uh, selfishness, 
and see what you would have us to do. In your name, amen. All right, not one of those texts in the Bible that's going to kind of give you warm fuzzies. Um, but I, I feel like, and I really do, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like it's time to start hearing more of these messages. Um, and I don't know why I feel like that. I just feel like sometimes talking, um, and not necessarily with anyone in particular, but we are, we are becoming very self-absorbed. It, it's just all about our own lives. Uh, and anything that messes up our flow of life or our uh, where we want to go in life, uh, we're going to get rid of anything that stops us from achieving what we want to achieve. And I would just like to really, I, I, it seems like I say this a lot, but <laughs> I would like to lovingly remind us that that is completely opposite of a Christian's walk. Completely opposite. And so here it's interesting uh, the Lord has big crowds following him. Large crowds, it says there in um, 25. Now, great multitudes went with him. So again, I just always love to, to look at how the Lord deals with, with a lot of people. Okay, because biblically, we know that uh, there was different reasons for these crowds to follow him. Some was just curiosity. Some was for their own gain. Some was even to mock him. Okay, but big crowds don't mean a lot. Numbers don't necessarily mean a lot. And so I just want to, again, think, what did God on earth do when there was a big crowd following him? He gave him a pretty hard lesson. How many of us would do that today? If there was tons and tons of people pouring into Brantford saying, hey, let me learn all about Jesus. And I mean, the room was packed and we had people going down the corridor. And we said, oh, my goodness, we might need two or three services. Are we willing to say the real stuff? Because Jesus turns to the crowds and says, Okay, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? I'm going to explain exactly what you have to do. Hate your father and mother. Hate yourself. Pick up your cross. In fact, forsake everything you have. Probably not the best message to give to a crowd. And I say that, obviously it is the best message because it came from the Lord. But that's what he said to them. And so I want to go over this. And again, like I said, I'm... There is not a lot of um, depth to this and the idea that I think this is a plain passage. I think this is a plain passage. We're just going to talk practically how this stuff works. So what does it cost to follow him? Four things. Love your family less than him. Love yourself less than him. Pick up your cross and follow him. And last but not least, forsake everything you have for him. Kind of encompasses everything. Uh, I know we get wrapped up in this word hate. I know we've also heard from the Pope, but it really doesn't mean hate. Okay, I do think you could interpret this as loving less. Okay, but I also thought, uh, I read one commentator, I thought this was really interesting. Um, remember the Bible verse that says he loved Jacob and hated Esau. And, and, and that's, that's hard to hear. How does God hate someone? And, and I don't think it's a cop-out, by the way, to say, well, you can really take it as he loved him less. Uh, here's what the way someone said it. I thought it was a lot better than, than I could do. It says, when God said he loved Jacob, he was not expressing his emotion, but rather his will. God meant that he had chosen Jacob. His statement of hatred of Esau was not a manifestation of his emotion, 
but rather of his will. He had he meant he had set Esau, the firstborn, aside. To love, then, is to choose or to submit to. To hate is to refuse to submit to the authority of another. To be disciples of Christ, people must reject every other authority and be solely under the authority of Christ. Unless they are willing to do so, they cannot be Christ's disciples. Further, they must hate their own life. That is, they must set aside their own wills and accept the will of Christ for their life. Otherwise, they cannot be Christ's disciples. So again, I don't think, as I've said in, in previous times, I don't think I'm going to teach us anything new. I just want to bring us some refreshers, some reminders. I do want it to be encouraging because it is, it is uh, the place for, for edification, the church. But what does it mean to love your family less than the Lord? We have said over and over, and I think, uh, I don't know if we're getting it, that families are quickly becoming idols. And, and I've said before, trust me, I'm all about family, and it, it would be a struggle for my own life um, because it's something so good, something so pure, something that shows the gospel. And we are quickly becoming people that just make family an idol. And nothing can touch the family. They take precedence over everything. And we say it sometimes in the name of, I'm just trying to do right with my family because I'm a Christian. I got this online. Just some simple things to think about. How do you know if you love your family more than you love the Lord? Parents who nurture their children, but not their relationship with the Lord or their marriage for 18 plus years. And they get divorced when the children are grown because they have nothing else. Putting so much time and effort into raising your children, you forget your spouse. Not healthy for the children, by the way. Second one, parents who seek the approval of their children more than the approval of the Lord. So they fail to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, now, again... I guess, you know, you're always a parent. I'm getting out of it, it seems like. It seems like I'm in that stage, but I guess they never are. But I will tell you that there's definitely times where you don't want to discipline your kid because it's just easier. It's just easier. And not because you don't feel like dealing with the fight, but that typically they're smart enough to catch you in your own stance. In other words, hey, I don't think you should be listening to that kind of music. Why? You listen to that. Okay, let's not talk about it. That, that's what happens all the time with us. So instead of us actually getting confronted and convicted by our, what our own children are saying, we just say, hey, you know what? I'm just not going to address this for my kids. I'd rather just have a nice time where they like me. Families who spend a fortune on nice vacations to spend quality time together, and they claim to not have any time or money to send their kids on a short-term mission trip. <laughs> How about taking a mission trip together as a family or foregoing the vacation? Again, these are all just things to think about. They're not a thus saith the Lord. Okay, but it is interesting that I don't know of, I'm trying to think if I know any, who who's taking their family vacated to go see a missionary or taking their, and I do know 
with camping ministry. We, we talked about some of this before, and I'm, I'm just coming out of it. Always convicted. Some people with two, three weeks of vacation taking one of those weeks to do nothing but work their tails off, usually for not a lot of gratitude, especially those who aren't even on the front lines. In other words, some people like to go to camp so I can work with the kids and share the gospel. Maybe they get saved. What about the people doing the grounds, taking out the trash, cooking for everyone? Absolutely unrecognized, taking their vacation time. But I tell you what, they prove to their family this is what matters, and the Lord comes before us. Some people have to decide whether we go on a family vacation or we go serve the Lord somewhere, and they choose serving the Lord. The kid cannot argue with that, that this is what my family chose. Men who abdicate their God-given responsibility to be the spiritual leaders of their home Settling for Father of the Year instead. It's a lot harder to plan a family devotion than a family excursion. Interesting. A lot of guys still struggle with it. Let me make money so I can give my children a blessing and will never open up the Bible again. You love your family more than the Lord. Church singles ministries in which seeking a spouse becomes a higher priority than seeking the Lord. Interesting. Families who would rather spend quality time together as a family at nights and on weekends than being on a mission in our neighborhoods looking for opportunities to engage those around us with the gospel. As a result, we don't even know our neighbors. I've mentioned this. I'm convicted in my own life. I have shared the stories that I don't feel good hanging out with our neighbors because they're non-Christians and I worry about influence and I don't want, uh, it, it, it just gets, it, it gets cloudy. How do we go over there? And what if, you know what, it really, it doesn't get cloudy. It forces conversations. You start hanging out with someone and they go, oh, let's watch this movie. We go, oh, we don't watch that movie. And it's a weird conversation. Oh, uh, we don't do that. Uh, uh, oh, no, don't worry about you. Uh, uh. But guess what? <laughs> Usually I've found that it's not as weird as I make it to be. And they go, okay, not a big deal. Typically, that's how it is. But I will say that I am all about family nights. I am all about, uh, you know, family time in the weekend. But have we taken that as we will never, as a family, Go out and talk to non-believers. Unless you hate your father and mother, your brother and sister, I have to be the priority, the Lord says. And so family time is great, but if you haven't shown, and not just your children, you and your spouse, you individually, you haven't shown that you are willing to go out and talk to non-believers and establish relationships that we might be able to share the gospel with them. Who do you love more? Because I tell you what, that's on the Lord's mind. We are all here because someone shared the gospel with us. <laughs> Most of us, I'm assuming, maybe some of you just picked up a Bible, I don't know. But we're here because someone shared it with us once. And the Lord did a work and we accepted him. Are we sharing the gospel? <laughs> Are we protecting our kid from all those crazy non-Christians who are worldly, who are disgusting and evil? That's right, they are. 
and God saved us out of it. <laughs> How do we practically show that we would love the Lord more than family? We've heard that he should be a priority. We know that he's supposed to be first. However, in everyday life, when someone in the family verbally says, I'm not doing well spiritually, or you can tell that they aren't, first of all, are those questions even being asked in our homes? In our homes, in our intimate homes. How are you doing spiritually? Going through stuff? Reading your Bible? Sometimes just nothing but praise. Doing great spiritually. <laughs> Been loving the Lord lately. Okay. But when someone does say, I'm not doing well spiritually, do we shut everything down and make that a priority? Do we clear the schedule for things of the Lord? I tell you right now, in my house, if, if something like this was happening, again, I'm not trying to, to blow up big, but if someone is going, hey, I'm just not doing well spiritually, then guess what? Let's go find another Bible study. Let's go find another Bible conference. Let's read our Bibles together more. Let's check in with each other more. Let's pray more about this. That's how you practically say, I love the Lord more than family. Because we're going to put the Lord first. We're going to put him first. What else does it cost you to be his disciple, to love yourself less than the Lord? Remember, it says, yes, in his own life also. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Question, are you the main character in all your stories? Oh, my daughter said this a couple months ago. I didn't like it. Got to be the main character. Always got to tell a story. I love stories. So first of all, just for a disclaimer, <laughs> I tell a lot of stories because I like to hear your stories too. I think there's nothing better than telling stories. All right, but that's a little sidebar. Okay. Uh, again, uh, Kim and I uh, went away for a couple weeks. Some weeks she was with me, some weeks she wasn't. But um, sometimes, you know, you see people like once a year or twice a year doing camping ministry, and it's a good time. But um, I still go remember saying, hey, Kim, you know, how was so-and-so? Uh, have any good talks? Uh, yeah, we talked for about 30 minutes. I said, oh, okay. And how was it? Didn't ask one question about how I was doing. Person talked to my wife for 30, 40 minutes. Didn't ask one question and how are you what's going on with you guys are we those people that you can talk to someone for 15 20 minutes and never ask them what happened to them this week never ask them hey what's it like going through this never look at them and say you guys doing all right? What have you been doing for fun lately? Just asking them to explain their lives to you. Or when you talk to people, you just want to dump load. You feel good that you dump load and then you leave. The 
because time and time again, that's what happens when you're self-absorbed and you feel like you had a good conversation and you might even talk deep, but all you do is talk about yourself. And not once did you sit there and say, how are you doing? And being willing to just step back and listen. Do you love yourself less than the Lord? Because the Lord would say, love people. Love them, love them. Ask them about themselves. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about you. There was a story I remember as a kid um, that my, my father read. There was this book called Joan in the Whale. It's a great book if you ever want to read it. Little, little parables, they say. The story goes like this. There was two men, both really ill, in the same hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up in his bed an hour every day to drain the fluids from his lungs. His bed was next to the room's only window. The other man had to spend his whole time flat on his back. The men talked for hours on end. They spoke with their wives and families, their homes, their jobs, their involvement in the military service, where they'd been on vacation. In addition, every afternoon when the man in the bed next to the window could sit up, he would pass the time by describing all the things he could see outside the window to his roommate. The man in the other bed would live for those one-hour periods where all the activity and color of the outside world were broadened and enlivened his world. The window overlooked a park with a lovely lake, the man said. Ducks and swans frolicked in the water while children sailed their model sailboats. Lovers walked arm in arm amid flowers of every color of the rainbow. Great old trees graced the landscape, and a fine view of the city skyline could be seen in the distance. The man by the window described all this in exquisite detail. The man on the other side of the room would close his eyes and could only imagine the picture scene. One day, the man even described a parade passing by. Unexpectedly, an alien thought entered into his head. Why should this guy have all the pleasure of seeing everything while I never get to see anything? The thought, I should be by that window, now controlled his life. One late night, as he lay staring at the ceiling, the man next to him by the window began to cough. He was choking on the fluid in his lungs. The other man watched in the dimly lit room as the struggling man by the window groped for the button to call for help. Listening from across the room, he had never moved, never pushed his own button, which would have brought the nurse running in less than five minutes. Coughing and choking, stopped along with the sound of breathing. He had passed away. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the man asked if he could move next to the window. The nurse was happy to make the switch, and after making sure he was comfortable, left him alone. Slowly and painfully, he propped himself up on the one elbow to take his first look. Finally, he would have the joy of seeing it all himself. He slowly strained to turn to look out of the window beside the bed. Much to his surprise, it faced a blank wall. Guys, again, I would just like to remind us our salvation is free, but the cost is great. We have given up. We have said to the Lord, not my will, but your be done. And that our lives will be about serving others. And that we are not guaranteed anything, anything, but trials and tribulations. I shouldn't say that we're guaranteed peace if we follow the Lord. But definitely not an easy life.
pick up your cross. That's what he says you have to do as a disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, again, there's, there's 18 messages in that one verse. I'm just going to focus on one point. The cross was not only painful, but it was slow. That's why it was so torturous. Remember why they pierced their spear. They thought they would still be dying when the Sabbath came. They didn't want to do that, which is one of the most ironic things about the law. But that's a whole other message. But people, they say historically, would sometimes hang on a cross for five, six, seven days before they died. So when he says pick up your cross, there's a lot of pain in picking up a cross and denying yourself. But even worse than that is it's painfully slow. It's every day for the rest of your life. Every single day. My friend had a uh, father who built like a 30-foot by 15-foot garage. And I knew uh, his dad has passed, and uh, I knew the, the shed was almost special to him. He needed to get rid of it. But he didn't. you could tell he didn't want to. His dad built it from the ground up. So I saw it as an opportunity. I said, uh, I'll take the wood. <laughs> he goes, I'd be great. So why don't you come tear the shed down with me, and then we can just take the wood back. I have gone about three times so far in tearing down a shed and then just organizing the wood. And hopefully tomorrow I'll actually go with a pickup to actually get the wood. That will be a whole other couple hours just loading the trucks and loading it into my yard. My point is I've done three days' work, and I haven't even laid the foundation for my shed yet. Then I have to lay all that out, build the shed itself, buy some more materials, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The process is slow, <laughs> and it's all free for me, but it's slow. It's slow. It's hours of work. I, I do think, and, and, and trust me, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say it. I just sometimes it helps me to to say it out loud is that there are times where we are painfully suffering for a long time. And that's what happens. And no Christian is is um, free from that possibility. And somehow we think we are. And I don't understand. And I, I don't understand why I think that way sometimes. Like somehow this can't happen to me if I'm a believer. But right here, Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross and deny yourself and love your family less than me and love yourself less than me. That, that's a life of death. It's a life of death. That's what the Christian's called to. So that when trials and tribulations, or you don't think life's fair or anything like that, I'm with you in sympathy. I'm with you in mercy. I hope it doesn't happen to you. But to sit there and say, how did this happen? He's told us this is going to be tough. He's told us that. And I think that would help each other when we acknowledge life is going to get tough. We are constantly trying to avoid the tough in our lives. And if you have a perfect life with all health and money, whatever the world thinks, and, and friends, and you have it all. 
It's still tough to deny yourself every single day and pick up your cross. And every single day, you love your family less than the Lord. And every single day, you love yourself less than others. You have everything. You still have a huge mountain to go up. Huge. That's why the Bible talks about it warring against your flesh. There's nothing inside of you that wants to lay down and serve others. There's nothing inside of you that doesn't want to make you number one. Nothing. You have to fight that every single day. Every single day. The fourth one. You have to renounce all that you have. So if the first three weren't clear enough. The last one. To renounce all that you have. Verse 33 in my translation, it says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'd like to give you a definition of renouncing or forsaking to say formerly or publicly that you no longer own, support, believe in, or have a connection with something. So you are publicly saying, I no longer own my life or any of these possessions. I no longer own it. I do not have a connection with these things. Big words. Big words. Again, I do not believe this is like, hey, sell everything you have. You get, you can't take one verse out of context. Sell your house, sell everything, and just give it to the poor, and then go live on the street. That's not what it's saying. In fact, it's probably worse. Because this is not only material possessions. This is forsaking relationships, forsaking careers, forsaking possessions forsaking the ability to maybe go somewhere else where you would feel more comfortable. But you know God's called you to a certain church so you could do a work there. All those things are in it, in this verse, forsaking it all. I have mentioned before probably that I like to check in with my daughters. I like to ask them certain questions. Whenever the topic of uh, boyfriends or girlfriends and all this nonsense comes up, I like to, uh, I tell my, my daughters a couple things I've said before. I'm going to say it again. I say, never marry what kind of man. And they have to tell me a lazy man. <laughs> and I said, and a man should never marry a high-maintenance woman. Don't be that girl, girls. Now, again, this is around my table. Sounds a little different out here. No, I'm just kidding. No, it doesn't. But, and then... I say this, I say, what does he have to be willing to give you in order to marry you? What does he have to be willing to give you? The answer is everything. Everything. If you marry a man and he's not willing to give you everything, you can just walk away. The Lord is worth 
us being willing to give up everything. That's the high calling. And I am always amazed of how much we can be willing to give. And then he doesn't just take it all. He actually blesses on top. But that first step of being willing to give it all, hard to do. So the rest of this passage in closing, well, in verse 30, 29, lest he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Uh, That should shake us up. How many of us have laid foundations that we were saved, that we were building a tower for the Lord, and then we stopped when the cost got too high. And that people will be able to look at our lives and go, you laid a foundation, but you didn't build anything. That's why it says consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. And that next part, if I'm honest, was really confusing to me. What king going to make war uh, does not sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? I'm thinking, I don't even really know what this means. I read a few commentaries, things like that. And uh, I think they're right. In other words, this. Now that we are accountable, opening up the word today, and you sit there and go, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's all true. We It cost everything to follow the Lord. I just still don't want to because <laughs> it's work. I understand that. But I think 31 is some of that where he's saying not being a disciple of the Lord, not being one who actually follows could even be worse. <laughs> now you're battling against something that you can't win. That's what he means by 20,000 versus 10,000. At least go make peace with it. It is not like, hey, I want to forsake all for him. Or, the or is worse than forsaking all for him. That's what he's saying. He goes, listen, I know this is going to cost you everything. But, guess what? If you look at a battle, and there's 20,000 over here and 10,000 over here, you better go make peace. You ain't going to win that either. So in our lives... We've been saved. This is it. The Spirit of God is in us. He will be convicting us. There is no other option. There is no other option. We die to selves now that we are saved. This is the calling. This is the calling. Guys, I think the Lord, I I really do. I believe the Lord wants to do amazing things with this assembly. But one of the things will be starting right here. It's just a mindset. Are we willing to give up everything? (laughs) Are we willing? Let's pray. And then uh, actually I'll start, um, well, I'll close in prayer. Then Brother Kim will start. We'll have about 10, 15 minutes. And then I'll close in corporate prayer. Lord Jesus, um, the calling is high. And uh, it seems impossible. It is impossible without your help. Uh, None of us want to die to self, really. None of us uh, want to love the unseen God more than um, tangible family right in front of us, Uh, or at least we struggle with it maybe. And so, Lord, 
Um, we need your help desperately, desperately in these things. Help us to realize the eternal glory that is set before us, that you have made us heirs, that we get heaven, that even if it doesn't work out down here, uh, what's coming is, is just so amazing. Lord, that you have promised peace, that you have said, I am your shield and your reward, that be content with such things that we have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, help us to have the faith that a life living sacrificially for you is peaceful, is joyful, is the best thing we could do for us. Thank you so much for setting it up this way. In your name, amen.